Sci-Fi for Me presents Jason Hunt, Timothy Harvey. This is the H2O Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the H2O Podcast. My name is Jason Hunt. And I am Timothy Harvey. And at least that part of the audio is working. Hello, Mazeris. Good evening in the chat. Uh, we are live on Facebook, YouTube, and Odyssey. And it does look like everything is proceeding as I have foreseen it. Uh, everything everything looks like it's working. So here we go. Um, all right. So you had to say that out loud. I know. I know. I know. I know. I know. All right. So breaking news today. You know, I, we've we've talked a few times. We've mentioned and and I've mentioned we've mentioned it here. And I've mentioned it over on uh, on Live from the Bunker. We actually, Tim and I, during the break, we sat and we had a conversation. There was a little bit of a planning skull session and generated a list of various topics that we could discuss at least through the end of the year. Mm-hmm. And that list has been derailed by, uh, by news today that we are getting a remake of Babylon 5. And J. Michael Straczynski is going to be involved, which, okay, that's that's the good news. And it's going to be on the CW of all places, and I'm not sure that's good news at all. Because it, it doesn't necessarily strike you as the CW being a place for dark serialized storytelling that often strays into no complicated <laughs> subject matter. No. Well, see, okay. Um, outside of the Arrowverse, which has sometimes. Uh, had a tendency to get dark and complicated and and all of that uh you know berlanti's crew thrives on the angst almost teen 20 something angst drama that you'd get with and you know the cw made its bones on Stuff like Dawson's Creek and Gossip Girl and you know sure, sure. the the uh, Vampire Diaries and, and these kind of things and all of those shows share one characteristic in that at least a half a dozen times per season at least one character is going to cry over something. It's that kind of show. It's it's that kind of network. And I remember when I worked for a CW affiliate, one of the things that they were talking about when 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 UPN and the WB merged. And I think it was UPN, yeah, when UPN and WB when everything merged and we got the CW at the beginning of all of this. Nobody knew what to expect. Nobody knew what what audience they were going to pull in. They they had their programming block and they had their their idea of what their network was going to be like. And after a couple two three years, it turns out surprisingly that 
the CW was not just appealing to the 20-something women demographic, but also the 50-something women demographic, because basically what they were looking at is completely unexpected by all of their planning and scheming and whatnot, they suddenly found that not only were women watching, but their mothers were watching. And they were watching some of these shows together. And we got the we got the the data on this stuff. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's very odd, but such as it is. Two years later, we're going into all of the superhero things. You know, we had Supernatural on there already, but then Arrow pops in and blows the door off of Capes, and the demographic shift from there with the CW. Right. It almost, I mean, it's almost enough to give you whiplash. I mean, in a previous incarnation, this was the network for Felicity. But you know, the <clears throat> as much as the argument is there to be made, considering we have so many choices now, right? Yeah. So you end up, the, the argument goes, well, let's find our niche grab hold of that audience and hold on tight yeah but at the same time uh, there's risks to that as well so i could very easily see studio people going you know we've got these folks great that's fantastic but we're looking five years down the line ten years down the line and we're asking ourselves as much as we can schedule out that far because of course the industry shifts as much as it does yeah um, maybe they're looking at it and going, you know what? Maybe we want to see if we can expand this audience and see what we can get in. And quite frankly, I mean, I, I think part of it too is you've had on the CW, you've had the 100, which is a future, you know, it's a futuristic science fiction. It's, I, I don't know that I would describe it necessarily as dystopian, but it kind of is. These are the survivors of a, of a worldwide disaster, and they send the kids back to the planet to see if they can survive and all of that. But given that CW is partially owned by Warner Brothers, and Warner Television produced the original show, and they're going to produce the new show, mm-hmm. then... I guess it makes a certain amount of sense that it would live on the CW because we're we're all we're all in the fan you know keeping it in the family as it were. Sure. My so biggest maybe. concern though would be that you look at and and I don't watch every CW show. What? I can't speak. What? Heresy, sir. Heresy. I barely watch any CW show right now. <laughs> um, and nothing nothing wrong with the CW if you're a fan of the CW if you're a fan of all the. Of all the the comic shows that are on the CW, that's great, fantastic. Um, right now, I am behind. Okay, I'm just seriously uh-huh. behind on all my superhero television. So it's not a question of active avoidance. It's a question of one of these days I'm going to binge like crazy. Yeah. Uh, but because I quite I've, I've quite enjoyed a lot of the Berlani shows. Right. Um, I've there's whether or not whether or not they're particularly faithful at, at, you know, adaptations of the comics, which is not something that you really should be expecting from media at this point. There's, there's been a long history of this stuff being not faithful to the comics. 
um, that's good and bad. I mean, there's there's yeah. pros and cons to that. Um, but uh, one of the things I that Babylon Five always did really well was that they didn't cast the entire cast was not full of young beautiful people. Right. It was full of some people who were young and beautiful and some folks who were not and there was a a a, a very different vibe to a lot and 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 it was hardly and this is not a there was a there's that's a thing that's always been on tv it's not a cw thing right so i mean right. the the casting attractive people to play parts in your show is how how it works um but there was a lot more of the character actors in Babylon 5 yeah. having primary parts, which is fantastic because some of the hardest working and most talented actors in the industry are character actors. And it's always great that a lot of these folks who wouldn't necessarily, I mean, there were, there were folks who, who had star, you know, well-established starring careers, obviously Bruce Buckleider, other folks as well. Um, but there are a lot of folks who were guest stars on your network TV shows, right? Yeah. They weren't the they weren't the leading men and leading women of the shows, and they had the opportunity to to really be major characters in the show and and long running major characters with, with complicated and interesting arcs. What I would don't want to see on the CW, and again, <laughs> it's there's a my goodness. The stuff that everyone in Babylon five is so young and pretty. I yeah. Mean, there's a, there's an episode of Supergirl, the first season when it was still on CBS, it was, right. it was the flash crossover when, uh, when Grant Gustin guest starred, cause somehow he ended up over on, in her dimension. Right. And they're right. all standing there in front of Cat Grant. And she looks, and says, you all look like the cast of a CW show. And the joke works because that's exactly what they all look like. It's these 20 and 30 something pretty people. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I, that seems like it would be a valid concern, especially if now the, the flip side of that is you have Straczynski involved in this one again. Apparently he, like he's running, he's the guy. running the thing. Yeah, he's going to be the showrunner again, according to his post. Uh, and hello, Hex Allen Comics. Uh, yeah, Flounder from Animal House. Yes, uh, Stephen First, whose audition did not go well for him, but it was perfect for the producers. <laughs> uh, yeah, have you heard that story? I have not. When he was auditioning, he saw everybody. Everybody had their hair up, done in the in the Centauri type of style right and he didn't so he runs to the bathroom gets his hair wet gets some soap and starts gooping up his hair the soap gets in his eyes and he stumbles into the producer's office it's like i'm so i'm sorry i'm sorry i'm sorry he gets the soap in his eyes his tears running down he's just all floundering all over the place and they all looked at each other and they go it's veer (laughs) (laughs) and they cast him on the spot it was was, that was right there uh, but yeah, I mean, you've got you've got Stephen First, you've got Andreas Katsoulis, 
who was also a Romulan commander over on Star Trek: The Next Generation. He played the bad guy in uh, in, in the Fugitive. You know, the the one armed man. Um, Bill Mooney was there. You know, Walter and, Koenig. Walter Koenig, and and actually, now that you mentioned that, I can I can say this: uh, we had uh, we had a chance to talk to him, and I will put that link in the chat if anybody is interested with uh, uh, my interview with Walter Koenig uh, from way back. Oh, when was this? It's 2012. Where does the time go? Right? Well, contrary to many TV shows and films, it goes forward. Goes yeah. Forward. Right? All right. Let me, let me pop this in here. Because I have three places now where I can where I can put this so I've got to I've got to manage my stuff now the thing is on on some of this you have the uh, you have the the question uh, because it's not going to be a continuation it's going Which it's going to be a, a, a reboot it's going to be well, and, and on one level, that's perfectly fine because they told their story. The yeah. story, I mean, we we have the far future ending of the show. We know what happens. It's, I mean, yeah, you're almost in the danger. If you're doing a, if you do a sequel, when you know the ending, you either have to sit there and go, oh, yeah, about that far future ending we've been invested in, <laughs> we, you know, and, and you've got emotionally attached to. We're going to wipe that away. That's got its risks. Yeah. But also the fact that you're filling in a hole they don't need to fill in. And we've talked about this with prequels. It's like you don't need to know this. You're not. You're not actually adding to the story in a way that that uh, is is beneficial to the storyline. Um, and and me and he's a fantastic writer. Generally speaking, I think he's he's done some really remarkable stuff. He could potentially pull it off. I mean, I'm not saying he can't. But at the same time, you know his argument from that Twitter thread is what would it be like if I made that show today? Yeah. After all the things that have changed since he made that show. And then I think that if you weren't around and watching Babylon five, when it was on the air initially, if you've, if you've come into it and you know, Hey, guess what? There's a lot of people who weren't. There are a lot of folks who did come to the show long after it left the air through DVD, through through coming on the on streaming. It did not get TV reruns, which yeah, was a little it disappointing was a, for a while. It was a syndicated show. Yeah, so we didn't. You didn't get like you know, it's off the air and suddenly you get to watch it all again from the beginning. No, that wasn't a possibility until until later. It at the time this was on the air nobody was doing this. They were not doing serialized big arc TV. And you cast your mind back, there was, this, there was this period of time where you saw some of these shows that started doing this really change the landscape. And you got it with Babylon 5 and you got it with, um, and I think they were at the very beginning of this. 
and then you got 24 and you got um well deep, murder one deep space nine got, started doing it toward the third or fourth season they really started leaning into it right and farscape did it as well especially yeah. toward its latter seasons but this was a lot of this stuff was you could do this because babylon 5 was going in what half the show built into this to the arc of the series um for for a for a genre show that just didn't happen well the and it was the, risky the 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 story was that straczynski had all five seasons mapped out he had it all well, written he, more than that he actually had two series mapped out and there's a period of time where the two series ended up becoming the one series. Mm -hmm. um, there was a bit of bit in the middle, I think between seasons three and four where it gets really busy. And so there's a, there, he, he, what he, he's ended up in the Guinness book of world records for writing the most con, uh, continuous number of TV show, uh, TV episodes. I think so. Yeah. For two seasons of the show. So, I mean, this was a massive, <laughs> the fact that they made it five years without him <laughs> burning out is pretty amazing. Well, um, I think, I think you can avoid that knowing where you're going because, you know, his, his plan, and I imagine that he'll probably do the same thing with the remake, is he had trap doors for every character. And he had those places like, you know, we, we talk here about our plan where you have those abort or pivot points. I imagine he's got those built in where, okay, we have a problem with X character, X actor, whatever. We have a plan to change the trajectory of the story if we have to. He had that built in. He actually had to pull the trigger on that one in the first season when Michael O'Hare left. Mm. And... At the time, nobody knew why O'Hare had had left the show. And like, what's going on? What's going on? What's going on? And and you know, Bruce Boxleitner comes in, and he's John Sheridan, and now he's he's the lead character. But Michael O'Hare was apparently dealing with schizophrenia, and it was affecting his work. It was affecting his ability to perform. And he and Straczynski, you know, Straczynski was going to give him the time off. He was going to, I, I guess, shut down the show and wait. And O'Hare was like, no, we're not going to put all those people out of work. Just, you know, cut me loose and, and let me go deal with it. And Straczynski kept it a secret until after O'Hare died. And then everybody went, oh, that's heavy. Because it is. I mean, this is not something that, that, you know, at the time, especially, if the word had gotten out that he was dealing with that kind of problem, who knows what would have happened? Right. But Straczynski well, and, does and say, "No, go ahead, go ahead." It's a risk. It was a risky show. Yeah. Um, in fact, um, it was. We we think we talk about the five years the show was on the air. It was almost four years that it was on the air because it wasn't going to get a fifth season. Mm -hmm. um and but i mean it was a risky show in a lot of ways the serialization um the fact that it was very cgi heavy for the time it was now one of the, one of the first shows that used cg and you consider that that a, a lot of that cgi does not hold up but a lot of it 
in a very stylized way still works. And I think some of that, if you're, again, it comes down to being, you know, if you're old enough to remember the pre-CGI dodgy effects that we would get for, you know, if you didn't have a big budget, um, uh, you know, you, you may do. And and they actually do a pretty good job with what they've got. It's, it, like I said, it doesn't age well, but especially at the time, it was very interesting and, and visually dynamic. And there's just... There's a lot going on in those five years. And I've been thinking about this as, since you brought it up. You know, this is, he's far from the first creator to go back and either retell one of his stories from a different point of view mm-hmm. or to pick up a story long after the fact he's, you know, he's put it down. Um, of course, you know, the Foundations series is running over on Apple Plus. And of course, Asimov linked link together at the tail end of his life. He linked together pretty much everything he ever wrote, yeah. um, aside from the mystery short stories, uh, into one giant world. Um, and and you see this, you know, creators, have, he's not the first creator to come back and do this. But unlike, say, Neil Gaiman doing the version of The Sandman that is essentially, this is the, this is the adaptation of the comic I wrote, except... We've decided that it's going to take place now as opposed to starting in the 80s. All right. right yeah. Okay. So there's your change. There's your change. It's it, it, it's not a period piece. It's present day. Okay, cool. This I, wait, is... Wait, wait, wait. I, can, I, I, I cannot wrap my head around the 80s being a period piece. <laughs> it's not that far back. It's not that far back. It's not. It's not. <laughs> Does Mrs. Boston to give you a hug? No, 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 no. I already got my. You're hug. sure? I mean, yeah, we can take the no, time. I understand okay, completely. Okay. I know. I know. I know how you feel. Um, but the uh, when I hear period piece, I'm thinking you know Victorian era or Wild West, and you know that that kind of thing, late 1800s. Well, you know, the, see, the problem is is that the period keeps moving forward. It's kind of yeah. like classic rock. It's like okay, guys. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, don't get me started on that. Okay, yeah. I mean, there's the classic rock station here in Kansas City plays some stuff that is just not classic rock at all. Somebody, I, I saw, I can't remember which, which music video I was watching. I was, I was going back and I was catching up on some, you know, it was had music videos as like the background noise while I was working. And it was some... It was Stabbing Westward. All right. So if you're not familiar with Stabbing Westward, I'm not. think Nine Inch Nails with less. Trent Reznor really leaned into the kind of creepy factor occasionally. Yeah. Stabbing Westward was like that, only with prettier people. Um, Mazers, they, they, Mazers is familiar with Stabbing Westward. Okay. So there you go. Uh, and, and their, their first album, I. I'm still a big fan of their first album. It's, it's but it's very Nine Inch Nails like, right? Ah. So somebody in in the comment field, I happened to look over and you know, I was watching the music video. And I scrolled down a little bit, made the mistake of looking at comments, and somebody said something like, "This is you know, this is classic rock at its finest." And I was like, oh, "No, 
<laughs> no, it's not. Yeah. I, I really enjoy this song, but I have news. It came out in like 1996. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's not classic rock. It's uh, not. Think, there's, there's, there's somebody at the, at the radio station who's got a thing for Green Day, I think. And every now and again, we'll get something from them. I think that's not classic rock. That is not classic rock is, you know, the Beatles, Rolling Stones, the Doobie Brothers, the Eagles. Uh, it's OK. The cla- the, so Clapton. So, if you, so here, here's where here's where we start. Here's where we break the Internet. Right. So um, <laughs> we've already done that once. Yeah. So classic rock, uh, uh, you know, yes. OK, so Hendrix, Cream, the Beatles, the Stones. All very blues influenced yeah. musicians, right? So yes. classic rock comes heavily influenced by black music, the blues, by jazz. R&B, it's all yeah. it's 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 got a certain kinds of experimental aspects to it because it's moving over into some of these stuff. It's what gets you into prog rock, right? With yes and and Pink Floyd and and, and all this kind of stuff, yeah. um, Moody Blues and this sort of thing, but it's it's a very distinct period of time <laughs> where where these these musicians were really these were the folks who were looking at Elvis Presley being influenced by Muddy Waters, mm-hmm. yeah, being yeah. influenced by you know Robert Johnson and and this sort of stuff. That's Classic rock. ZZ Top. The so ZZ Top's the, the tail end of that, though. Yeah. I mean, uh, well, ZZ yeah, but, of... but they, but you, you talk about Muddy Waters and, and the influence of the blues. ZZ Top really had a lot of that, too. Oh, yeah. Well, but they, they carried, they carried that on. They carried on, and they were not the only ones, but they were a bunch of, they're the musicians who continued to play the music that we consider classic, you know, uh, classic rock. Mm-hmm. Um, well into, you know, the hair metal days and the grunge days and all these different things. Really, folks, <laughs> about 19... I'd say the cutoff for classic rock is what? 80 at the latest? If we're going to go that late. If I would say late. a little bit before. Uh, somewhere in there. Because mid-70s, you start getting into disco. And, well, it, it, you know, that, that starts to blend in and you get some of the psychedelic funk type stuff, you know. Then you start the, in the mid-80s to start really getting the British um, uh, the second, synth second rock, wave. pop rock kind of stuff yeah, coming Duran, over with Duran Duran and Pet Shop Boys and things like that. And um, uh, nothing wrong with that. I, I'm a huge fan of that period. Uh, the Every Sunday morning before we went to church, there was... Um, we had Casey Kasem and uh, Americans Top Forty. Americans Top Forty, and then you had the the we've got this little song that came in. It's a new song from across the seas, and it's like oh, <laughs> oh yeah, it's like you know Pet Shop Boys, West End Girls, and I'm like, what is this? This is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and but that whole explosion where you got you know Brian, you got Brian Ferry, a lot of acts that had been around in England for the, for a while, but it was really the mid '80s, mid late '80s where they really yeah. exploded in the U.S. But by that point, classic rock was was done. I mean, the Stones are still touring, and they're still playing their greatest hits. But 
that period isn't just about the music that we still play. It's about that period where all of these people were together yeah. really having this kind of thing. So how, I mean, how did, how did, yeah. how did we, how, where, where was the exit ramp? How did we get on this? Okay. So here we go. So here, here, I'm going to bring it back around. Right? All right. Yes. So, so one of the things that we've seen um, is for good and for ill is this sense in, in culture, pop culture, especially of nostalgia, the power oh, of nostalgia. Yes. For good and for ill, right? The stuff we grew up loving. And, you know, we just had the news, of course, that, that uh, you know, the guy who brought Doctor Who back to television is coming back to the show and he's going to run it. Um, and and a you lot know, of people were really excited. I, I would have been curious to see what Davies would have done with Jody's Doctor. Well, to be perfectly honest, my, my big hope is that uh, even though the argument is is that her run will come to an end before the 60th therefore it seems unlikely she would come back that quickly for the 60th yeah i think um considering how vocal a supporter of hers davies has been unless he's being paid to do that uh, he's got enough clout i suspect he's not but might be i suspect that based on at least by based on what he said he would be inclined to bring her back. So we make it that opportunity. Maybe. But I would like to see that as well, because quite frankly, um, for she, good or for ill, she hasn't gotten very good. good material. I would say that it's been, it's been weaker. There's no argument, yeah. but here's the thing. Nostalgia. We have him coming back, mm-hmm. but he's coming back having done a bunch of other stuff in the meantime. Right. And he has continued to grow and, and as a writer and as a producer and as a creator of content, which is continually getting a lot of buzz and praise, which is you want to continue to grow as an artist, right? Sure. Straczynski's done the same thing. He isn't just, this isn't like his only claim to fame. He went on and he's written comics. He's written scripts for other films. He's written, te- he's written scripts for other television stuff. Yeah. This is not his, yes, this is the thing that put him on the map and for a lot of science fiction fans this is the thing they you know they really know him from if you're not a comic book reader you might not know that he's written a lot of comic books yeah and a lot of that's been for marvel but he's also written his own creator uh, yeah his own stuff his own stuff which is and he even makes the point in this thread he talks about he says you know Heraclitus wrote, you cannot step in the same river twice for the river has changed and you have changed. He says, in the years since B5, I've done a ton of other TV shows and movies, adding an equal number of tools to my toolbox, all of which I can bring to bear on one singular question. If I were creating Babylon 5 today for the first time, knowing what I now know as a writer, what would it look like? How would it use all the storytelling tools and technological resources available in 2021 that were not on hand then. How can it be used to reflect the world in which we live and the questions we're asking and confronting every day? Now, there are some people that are probably going to see that particular question and assume the worst. Oh, here we go. It's going to be another one where they inject modern era whatever into a science fiction show set into the future. I don't know that he'd do that, 
Well, okay, that's that's it. That's. Mm. And I'm not right. ma- I'm not making that assumption either. I'm just saying that there are some people would see right. that and automatically the the red flags start flying. And right, wait, and what those are, are also folks who 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 maybe don't remember that the show is not always the least anvilicious show out there. Well, yeah, there was often okay. There were times, as much as I really enjoyed Babylon Five that at the end of each episode it was really really tempting to envision like garibaldi stepping out and going as we've seen in tonight's episode <laughs> yes the moral such of and the such story. is bad <laughs> yeah. yeah and yeah and there's it's those it's he, those caps to the old he-man cartoon remember kids yeah yeah and yeah. and he was trying to make okay he was making commentary on quite a few things over the course of the show this is a thing that science fiction and fantasy does a lot by the way so it's not like it was a new thing a lot of and especially when you get into these serialized science fiction shows right. you know the 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 commentary like the commentary on war and and society that that Deep Space Nine was doing in the midst of the Dominion War. There were some dark explorations of, of how we act in wartime as as the good guys, right? Right. Um, Babylon 5 was doing that as well. Babylon 5 was was dealing with you know mental health issues and and uh, alcoholism and and the the impact of carrying so much hate and rage this is a recurring thing in the show how many how many characters in that show were undone because they couldn't let go of hating the other yeah and so so the the question well of course yes there's a difference between social commentary and propaganda but the question but the thing is is that that ends up being a personal decision because one man's propaganda is another man's social commentary and vice versa it's really hard to sit there and go that's what this is until right. you get like in the rearview mirror um not not i'm not saying you, sometimes it's very obvious but um the thing is is that if you if you look if you've paid attention to his writing he's but he comments on a lot of things uh what rising stars was rising stars his comic his big comic series for a long time um lots of commentary on uh you know the uh uh well superheroes in general um you know there's there's certainly a lot he probably wants to say in the course of the show just like there was back when he did the the first show the first version of it my question is okay it's one thing you got battlestar galactica getting a reboot by a new team, brand new folks. Right. Saying, here's the basic concept, right? Yeah. Well, and he even invokes Battlestar Galactica in this in this thread where he's talking about how do you how do you remake this? He says he's not doing the same story. He says there would be no fun and no surprises. Better to go the way of Westworld or Battlestar Galactica where you take the original elements that are evergreens and put them in a blender with a ton of new challenging ideas to create something fresh yet familiar. 
To those asking, why not just do a continuation for a network series like this? It can't be done because over half our cast are still stubbornly on the other side of the rim. And that tells me right there he's, he's not even considering recasting any of the characters that came before. This is all going to be brand new. See, I don't know that I would go that far. But I think the question I have. <laughs> well, as is, far as as far as doing a continuation, if he were to do well, a continuation, right, continue. we we couldn't do it because we uh, he's not gonna he don't we wouldn't want to recast any of the any of the original roles. But I think that I think my my question is um, when for something like Battlestar Galactica, where, where you bring in a whole new group of people yeah. to do the storytelling, so you basically have this like. You know, we've got the bare bones, and now we get to flesh out in a completely new way. It's all our own thing. Very rarely do you get the original creator of a show to come back and rebuild the show from the ground up as a brand new show with the same basic concept. Yeah. Which we're presuming, by the way, we're making we're, we're making several assumptions here. We're presuming it's about a space station called Babylon Five. <laughs> I would imagine it's a, it seems like so. a fairly safe assumption, but yeah. uh, we could be wrong. Um, so, I mean, how do you how do you create a new thing? And as a creator, I can see this be, being something to be really excited about. Yeah. Create a new thing based on a concept you you had and you already think, but give it a brand new spin, and still bring in the fans who love the original thing, knowing that if you give them something completely new and not what made them necessarily made them fans of the original. I think if Straczynski was not involved, you'd have a whole lot more people concerned over it, especially given that it's at the CW. Given that Straczynski is involved, and not just as a consultant, but he's the showrunner, he's the he's the one in charge of everything. That's going to probably allay some fears, but at so, the same time, every almost every show that has come back, playing on the nostalgia factor, has. Twisted, missed, not quite landed square on the mark because in this day and age, you know, you have half of the fans of whatever the thing is upset because it's been violated in some way. I mean, Masters of the Universe, Star Trek Discovery, Doctor Who with with Jody as the as the lead. All of these different things. And the CW is the CW and and they do a particular type of show. I don't know yeah, that we- I don't know that a new Babylon 5 fits the CW. Okay, well, uh, the answer is no. It doesn't <laughs> fit the standard model of the CW, which tells me that the CW doesn't necessarily want to limit itself to its standard model because you're not... I, I, I have a hard, hard time getting my head around the idea that Straczynski is going to squish 
his storytelling style into the CW. Oh okay. no, no, in, I in, don't. No, I don't fairness, have. In fairness to them, the the idea of yeah, the CW. I don't right? have any. I don't have any thought that Straczynski is going to going to cramp his own style that way. It just but, doesn't seem like it's a good fit. It it doesn't well, seem I, like that's the network for this kind of show. If you were going to well, do, you know, you're going to do Babylon Five. I'd see it on Showtime. Showtime, HBO, or Paramount Plus, well, or you know, or, Am- or Amazon, or Amazon, uh, because of course, you know, they, of course, they're coming off the Expanse, having its last season coming up. Yeah, but with um, Warner, with Warner merging with Discovery, you put it on whatever that new streaming service is going to look like. Well, and and I think that this is probably you know, a very very calculated decision by the CW to do something different. Yeah, and to bring in more eyes. You know, it's um, I was just watching a thing on uh, a, a YouTube video on Space 1999 mm-hmm. and how it started off as a different show, an entirely different show. And the fact that it was going to get an American, it, it was, you know, the Andersons are doing all this stuff for American audiences. And so each one of their shows lasted for a season and didn't get picked up by an American network, so they made a new one. And then it didn't get picked up by an American network, so they made a new one. Because it was all designed to sell to the American audiences. Yeah. And then the, you know, what, uh, was it UFO? Um, was, it was going to be UFO season two, season two, and then it was going to be, and then it became Space 1999. The reason that it was doing really well is that it was the lead-in show, it, to all in the family mm. so people would watch this british made tv show ahead of all in the family well at the time all of this stuff was um coming to an end so the studios are like yes let's do a new season of this show with an american backing and an american network and oh wait all in the family is ending okay well that audience isn't there anymore so suddenly there's no it didn't happen. And we yeah. ended up with Space 1999 because they continued to work on with it. The WB or the WB, <laughs> WB, um, <laughs> CW is quite possibly just looking at the market around them and going, okay, we've got to become known for this thing, but that's yeah. not all we want to be. Well, and that, and that conversation has happened at the network before. I, I you know, like I said, I've worked at, at a CW affiliate. So, I at the time being employed at a at a CW station, you know, we'd be privy to some of the different things that were going on and being discussed and and that sort of thing. And we'd get advance notice and some different things of, you know, what we're going to try and here's the new season and all these different things. And of course, always they're talking about expand how do we expand the audience? How do we broaden the audience? Sure. How do we broaden our appeal? And the recognition at the time of, you know, such a female dominant audience led to the question of, okay, we've got the women. How do we get the guys? And, you know, the supernatural was already there and was doing fairly well. I mean, 15 seasons, that's that's doing pretty well. And... You started with some of the 
some of the Arrow stuff, and now we're, you know, Roswell, New Mexico, an, another remake. You know, Teen, Teen, Teen Wolf wasn't on, wasn't on the WB, wasn't on, wasn't on, on CW, it was on MTV. But it's that, like you said, it's that nostalgia factor, you know? They've remade Charmed. They've remade, oh, what else is on there now? A, you know, a new oh, Gossip Girl. They redid Melrose Place. They redid Dynasty. But see, those remakes tell me that they're going back toward a, a female-centric audience because men don't watch Dynasty. Well, back in the back in the what that would have been the eighties. Yeah, like um, eighty five, eighty six. A lot of men did watch Dynasty. There were only three and a half channels. Yeah, so. but men were watching Dynasty for Joan Collins and 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 the, you know the women were watching for the fashion. Nowadays, the men, yeah, well, nowadays they're not watching. You know, men are not watching Dynasty. Well, for right, for any we, any of those reasons. Now, Tom, Thomas have, is a- asking in the chat about various different things. The new Night Court is a continuation, not a rebake. So I don't think that one counts in all of this. The Lost Boys is a reboot. I don't see that it's any, anywhere near necessary at all. Well, none of these are. Okay. All right. So it, whether it's necessary or not, here's my biggest problem with the Lost Boys vampire film where where younger people are the heroes fine no yep. problem with that yep. um basically you know giving uh a maybe a new spin on the same plot fantastic that's great it's like remaking highlander <laughs> a significant chunk of the lost boy the, the power of that movie is the soundtrack yeah it is you if you pull the soundtrack out of that film it's a it's a perfectly fine vampire movie but the soundtrack really makes that film uh really what it is i'm not saying they can't do that with the new movie and maybe they can but that's something they're going to have to prove to me as as somebody who literally my high school theater department we would watch that film for like, we'd go to the theater every weekend for like a month and a half to yeah. watch it again and again. We, and a good chunk of that was the music. Well, and um, you know the other thing, you know this this new flight of the Navigator that Bryce Dallas Howard is going to be directing. You know, we don't know anything about it. We've heard it's a remake, but it could be the next Navigator. Um, you know, the, the Rocketeer is kind of getting a reboot, but it's kind of a sequel because it's a new Rocketeer mm-hmm. who's, and I would assume that Billy Campbell is going to be back somehow. I would, so. I would, I would expect. I would so. Although um, quite frankly, if you gave me a 1930s, 1940s cent Rocketeer with a brand new cast, um, I would be fine with that too because it's something that works well in the, as a yeah. period piece. Well, and given that this new Rocketeer is going to be a Tuskegee Airman, that mm-hmm. actually kind of works because it, you, it's set in the historical context of the time that works, and it also mm-hmm. tells us that we're past, you know, we're all we're we're maybe slightly f- forward in time a little bit past when the original with the first rocketeer movie happened because that was pre-world war ii when america got into it 
And if we're talking about now a former Tuskegee Airman, we're five, six, ten years down the road. So right. that tells me sequel, which so, is and, perfectly and fine. I'm, I'm actually excited about of, of, all, so of all of these things. That's one of the things I'm actually the most excited about. I am a big fan of the Rocketeer, the original Rocketeer. Yeah, me too. And it's one of those films that, quite frankly, it's a terrible shame we never got a sequel. Um, and I am on board with a new version, just like I'm on board with a new version of The Phantom. I just really want a Billy Zane and somehow a Treat Williams cameo. <laughs> I, I, I'm not going to get it. If you're going to do that, but, I, see, but if, I want it. If you're going to do that, if you're going to do the Phantom, then you got to do the Shadow. And yes, we're going to set them in the 30s. It has to be a period piece. Has to be. Has to be in that time frame. But I'm. But I'm. I, see, the thing is, is that I as much as as much as I want it, as much as I think it could be done. It, a shouldn't, huge fan it of, shouldn't be, but I think. Well, I think the problem is is that it would really. If you go back to the novels, there is a whole lot of, and and this is why he, he, the the shadow was a huge influence on this little character named Batman, um, is that a huge chunk of the books are a detective story, yeah, with punctuated by extreme moments of violence um <laughs> lots of lots of villains getting shot but good um finding that right balance and and quite frankly i think it, it would the odds of them doing a good fingers crossed shadow movie now are much better than when they tried to do it with alec baldwin when they were trying to really do it as something that felt a lot like batman 89 because the shadow is in its truest form, very dark storytelling. Oh, no question. And I think, and I think that there's ways you can do that. But I really, I, I fear. My I fear well, see, my thing is, if you were to the, do, bring it into the modern era. Yeah, but if you were to do the the shadow now. After all of these years where we've had grim and gritty since Batman 89, The Killing Joke, Watchmen, Dark Knight Returns, and all of that. Because the only way to do realistic is to do gritty, right? You know, it's, the, it's that, that mentality. I don't know that it would play as well, because now it's played out. So interestingly enough, the, the, very, the Shadow has, is a comic book. Um, yes, I dynam think Dynamite, I think. I don't think there's a current series, but there has been quite a few over the last couple of decades. Yeah. Uh, DC has had it. Dynamite has had it. Uh, somebody else had it. Um, and, and the shadow has, has appeared as varying degrees of, of scary to a little crazy. Uh, and like he's come across as almost like a, a maniacal sociopath. Um, there's different ways to deal with the character. I think the problem is, is that the shadow is a character of his time. He's a, he's a, he's a character of the gangster era of prohibition of pre-World War II 
of of this idea where you know the mob the mobs controlled the the cities right he's he's still dynamite oh yeah um and i think that you you while there's no question that that organized crime continues to this day the sort of um the gangster mythology Mm -hmm. right it's really the 1930s you know 20s 30s early 40s um and and frankly the shadow works the best there because now um he's a vigilante killer and he's they have one of those they call him the punisher and and yeah the shadow work the shadow works best as a period (laughs) my personal opinion i realize people disagree that's fine they're wrong but (laughs) yeah uh, Marie in the chat says, nice to see you both. You've picked a hot topic tonight. Well, we need to stay on topic. <laughs> I guess because we've strayed well, afield. We're, we're doing a lot of speculating here. Well, and I think yeah. That, and it takes us to other places. The other, the other part of that, and I want to I bring this up too, because you know now we're talking about a, a completely redoing everything. And in all of the coverage of the, the new series, they're talking about John Sheridan which is Bruce Boxleitner's character. Mm-hmm. They're not talking about Sinclair, which is Michael O'Hare's character in the first season, the commander of the, ba- uh, of the, of the station. So I'm wondering if this new version is just going to start with Sheridan and completely do away and dispense with uh, the, the Sinclair character, maybe out of respect for Michael O'Hare Potentially, or or the fact that he didn't really have much of a story since since O'Hare left after the first season, and it's all Sheridan from then on out. But maybe, there maybe. is this uh, this post from Claudia Christian, who played Commander Ivanova. What was that? What was that? Uh, that quote that she's yeah, it's a it's a meme. I am. I am vengeance or whatever. She's having I mean, this whole oh, thing right. about, you know, yeah. you're I'm I'm about I'm about to destroy you type of thing. But she posts here. <clears throat> she's uh, this was eight hours ago now. Uh, I know some of you saw the announcement that WB is doing a B5 reboot series. And I know you have lots of questions for me. Like, are you playing Ivanova? Are there going to be telepaths? What year is it taking place? And she says, I know nothing. Zip nada. Joe has kept us in the loop from day one on this because he wants us involved in the show, with the show, but we have no idea at this time what's in the script or what the story is. Only Joe knows that for now, so you should go bug him about it. He won't (laughs) tell you, but the results should be amusing. I personally am grateful that I will once again be uttering the great maker's fabulous dialogue, but I know not what that will entail. So she's already acknowledging the possibility and the likelihood, seems like, from what she's saying here, that she's going to be involved in some way, Mm -hmm. probably not as Ivanova. What if he well, populates the station with all brand new characters and just takes the concept, the idea, and puts a whole new, a whole new cast in there? Well, quite frankly, I think that would be something that there'd be a real attractiveness to doing. And you could actually bring back your as many of the original cast who want to come back as the characters they were playing. She could be back as Villanova. But 
as a version of that character who interacts with this cast in a whole different way. Mm -hmm. You know, so I mean, these that would actually give you a fair amount of freedom to bring back cast members as versions of the characters, you know, the next universe over, right? Sure. Um, and what still if, have so, so so you get the fans going, yes, Sheridan is back. What if? But what if this ends up being Babylon Six? Because we had we had you know, it's the fifth station, because the yeah. other four were destroyed. What if? And I'm not pure speculation on my part. I'm just throwing this out there just for for oh, yeah. giggles. But if it's Babylon 6, it could still be a reboot and a sequel at the same time. There's a lot of different things they could do here. Yeah. I think that the concern, the biggest concern that you can have here is that Straczynski just doesn't have enough fresh ideas to make this show work. And that seems unlikely considering his particular track record. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that you know when we've talked we've talked about um, some of these reboots and remakes before, and how some of the times it ends up being the the biggest fans of the original thing are not necessarily the folks to make the new version because they're too close to it. They're, yeah. They or they've latched onto something where they feel like you know this is this is a comedy now. It's like well yeah no it's funny in retrospect. It's not supposed to be a comedy though, and you you've, you've missed the mark, but. You have somebody like, you know, um, Nicholas Meyer coming in doing Star Trek 2. Mm -hmm. Fresh perspective. He binged Star Trek to get his knowledge base for, for the movie, right? right? He didn't come in with this fan base uh, built in, uh, in his own head. And, and I think that if you are doing this sort of reboot or, or remake, coming in, like Straczynski's doing is going, okay, clean slate. Let's let's make let's pretend I never made Babylon five. Let's see what I would make if I made Babylon five today. Yeah. There's some really neat opportunity here for well, and, uh, and there's potential for, there's potential for it to go off the rails because light, oh, God, yes. lightning in a bottle, the 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 chemistry between Peter Jurassic and Andreas Katsoulis as Londo and Jakar. You, yeah. That that was not fake. They had such a they had such a rapport, both on and off screen, that they were mm -hmm. they were improvising all sorts of things when the cameras weren't rolling, in character, and that relationship carries through to the camera in their performances because you could tell that they were had they had this kind of relationship. Uh, Maria says, "I'm she's oh she's giving she's giving me the line. I'm Susan Ivanova, the right hand of vengeance and the boot that is going to kick your sorry ass all the way back to Earth, sweetheart. I am death incarnate and the last living thing that you'll ever see. That's the kind of stuff that probably needs to be in this in this reboot, right? I think I think the big and and." Having no authority in any way, shape, or form on the show, uh, nor ability, nor reason why anyone should listen to what I want from it, right? Mm. But at the same time, I I would say, personal opinion, you know, yes. that one of the biggest risks you could have is to try and recapture the lightning in a bottle aspects of some of the original show, 
I think one of the things if you're going to if you're going to to a let's take the original concept and and see what happens I would say scrub as much of it as you can and start from scratch with as much as you can well and Straczynski does say you take the core elements Mm -hmm. so I would say you know space station and whatever the you know the various different alien races and the situation that that applies there at the beginning of the of the show, mm-hmm. and the 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 very tenuous piece and and all of the different you know political dynamics and socioeconomics and all of that, and the the characters then take shape around that. Right. Because you have to have a station commander, you have to have an executive officer, you've got to have to have a chief of security and a doctor. You've got th- those archetypes, I guess, especially if it's a military base. Mm-hmm. You, there are certain characters, ty- types of characters that are built into the formula that have to be there. Right. And all of the relationships between those characters can be brand new. You don't have to have all of the same dynamics between characters like you had before. And there's a lot of potential there for some really good storytelling. There is. But it could also go off the rails at the end of the second season. Well, and I think that, that if... the One of the biggest benefits, I think, to being on the network like the CW is that if he's come to them and said, I've got a five-year plan, mm-hmm. they're liable to give him all five years. Yeah. And that's not necessarily a guarantee. You're not going to get five years on Netflix, folks. Not well, the way they're currently running their model. And that's no guarantee that you're going to get five years of good storytelling from Straczynski. We're assuming right. that he still has the chops to do it. Right. And and with with some evidence... To sure, that, sure. Um, but at the same time, yeah. I mean, I think the 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 biggest expectations expectations are our biggest risk here. Yeah. Fan expectations um, are we we have this weird dynamic with the things that we love, the the stories that we love, right? Um, that we. We want more of the same, but we want something new. Yeah. We want uh, exactly what we loved about the original thing, but we loved the original thing when we were a kid, and we want different kinds of entertainment as an adult. It's a weird push-pull that doesn't necessarily do us any favors when we get new versions of the thing that we loved. Sometimes it's a better thing. A lot of times it's a worse thing. Sometimes it's just as good a thing. It's just a different feel and vibe, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. Right? Sci-Fi Stop says, the best thing about being on the CW, low expectations. To some degree. I, I, I mean, you know, and the the sad part about it is that he's right. Because you look at Supergirl, for example, where it does its first season on CBS. And the ratings are not that great. So it moves over to the CW, where the They're ratings. Still Helen Flater. The ra- the ratings are a little bit lower second season than they were on CBS, but for the CW, it's a hit. We love it. I mean, you look at Batwoman. 
Batwoman is probably the worst rated show. 300,000 people watching this show, and it gets a third season pickup. They're not picking up that show for the audience that's watching it. They're picking up that show for the social media buzz that goes around it. People talk about it, but nobody watches it. And I'm worried. I know, but I'm worried that the network expectations, oh, this is going to be Babylon 5. We're going to bring Babylon 5 back. We're going to get all of these people who love Babylon 5, and half of them are going to look at it and go, oh, it's on the CW? No, thanks. I'll wait till it comes out on DVD. I'll wait till it's on a streaming service. I'll catch it in repeats because the CW is going to botch it. I think that you are going to see a very big, at least initial viewer numbers on the first few episodes. Oh, no question. No question about that. Because and everybody's going to everybody's going to be curious. They're going to want to see what it is. It's like Star Trek Discovery. Well, yeah. Star Trek the Discovery first first episode they had quite a few eyeballs and yeah, half and the think, people hated it and they bailed and that's that's it no more. Well, I think that we are we become, of course, the audience of the trailer, right? Hmm. So the first trailers dropping are going to tell a lot of people how that how they think they're going to feel about this thing, mm-hmm. um, and well, if, you know, Str- whether, if Straczynski is smart. He will bring everybody along for the ride and he will maximize social media scripts, you know, photographs, behind the scenes, rehearsals, and and here's this page and here's this here's this storyboard and here's this and, and build up the hype using all of the social media tools at his disposal. Well, he's already got a built-in audience for this just because the fan, the, the not only the fan base of the show, but also the folks who know how influential the show was, yeah, uh, and continues to be. By the way, I mean it's also this is this is not a it's over and done. The 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 things that it changed about genre television continue to this day. It's still an ongoing process. We're still dealing with serialized television. We're dealing with yeah. with big plots. We're dealing with people coming out and saying. I have written a show that has got three seasons and then we're done. I've got you know five seasons and then we're done because I've got a beginning, yeah. a middle, and an end. And remember, folks, they didn't used to write TV that way. I this also, was the show that... Yeah, you've also got, the te- like he's talking about, the technological advances. Because oh, now yeah. you can shoot in the volume. You can actually put your spaceship in space as it were, and shoot in-camera effects like never before. Oh, yeah. I mean, the potential for this show just looking gorgeous mm. is, is... And quite frankly, the the idea that... We, and maybe he'll really lean into this. I think this would be really good for him to do. Uh, I, I, I would like to see him do this. Let's, just, let's, let's put, be more accurate there. Giving us a chance to have more alien aliens. Yeah. I mean, for for there was some really amazing creature design on that show. All built around the fact that it had to have a human actor inside it. Yep. Bipeds in a costume. And some of it worked really, really well. But the fact that we have the ability now to do stuff where you can really just push that 
and get your more alien aliens. A lot of that's uh, going to depend on their budget. Sure. Oh, no question. But the thing is, is that at least for that first season, I think they're going to have a pretty healthy one because they're going to be, you know, with, with bringing this back, he's not, well, if they're not going to end up with a good budget for at least the first season, we're going to hear about it. And it's not, I, I'm going to say it's not going to happen. <laughs> Cause I, I suspect he would pull, he would pull the plug. He might, you never know. And it wouldn't be the first time we've been told, Hey, we got this, this thing in development. It's going to happen. And yeah. All right. On that note, we will head out uh, a quick reminder. Uh, Monday through Thursday, we've got live from the bunker, which is our talk interview show. And then Saturday morning, good morning multiverse with the week's headlines. And I am, uh, we are confirmed Wednesday on Live from the Bunker, we will have Chuck Dixon and Graham Nolan, the creators of Bane, will be in, uh, in, in studio, well, they won't be in studio, but they'll be here to talk about uh, their careers in comics and uh, the, the indie stuff that they're involved in now, plus, you know, the history of Bane and, and working at DC and all that stuff. So that's Wednesday, uh, Chuck Dixon and Graham Nolan, 1 p.m. Eastern, uh, and then um, at some point we got to get Tartar Sauce back in the back in the mix because that Russell T Davies news is still sitting out there. We got to deal it's with. Just, and you know it's killing me because you know tail end of the year, right? We don't have a we don't have a air date. We yeah. got we've gotten a teaser trailer. We're we're waiting on the drop for the the official trailer, the full one, and an actual date. Come on, you guys. It's coming. DC, I, I know we know I know what you're doing. You're dragging it out because you know that people want you to do it. But stop. Give well, us a trailer, give us a date, and we can And we've got uh we've got Disney Plus Day and DC Fandom just around the corner too. So DC Fandom is October sixteenth. I imagine we'll have some stuff to talk about then. And then of course There's Disney Plus be a Day new is Batman November. trailer. We'll probably get a new Batman trailer. We'll probably get some more information on maybe the Penguin spinoff that they're talking about. Uh, uh, the, I'm, I'm dying knows? to see a full Black Adam trailer. Black Adam. Uh, but we'll probably get some stuff about you know Stargirl and Doom Patrol and Titans and all that good stuff. So lots of things to look forward to. Things that we will be talking about here and in other places. So uh, we do need you to uh, subscribe and hit the notification bell so you know when we put new material out, which is almost every day. And uh, connect with us over on social media. Sign up for our newsletter. And, of course, anytime you want to leave a comment, you are more than welcome to do that. Or you can send us an email, h2o at sci-fi for me.com. Suggest topics if you want to uh, have certain things that we that we should discuss. You've got some ideas for us. We'll certainly entertain those as well. All right. Thanks very much for being here, everyone. We will do this again in one week. Have a good night. Thanks, guys. Copyright 2021 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media.